This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. It's The Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Envy's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 1067 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. Building the Good Life with John Hope Bryant is brought to you by Prudential Financial. You do something because you expect something. It's not the right reason to do it. Sometimes the right thing is just the right thing. You just do it because it's the right thing. And uh, there doesn't have to be anything else besides that. Well, and there you have it. Hi, this is John Hope Bryant, and this is Building the Good Life. I am honored to be here with my dear friend and one of America's most outsized and I believe yet underrated leaders. Uh, This is saying a lot because he's CEO of PayPal, so it's not like he's hiding under a bush somewhere. That's one of the best performing growth companies in the world, but I still think that his heart is not known as much as his head. And I still don't think that people understand how both of those things working together turns out a fabulous product in the form of a high-producing, sustainable company with a viable culture. Ladies and gentlemen, join me in welcoming my friend, Dan Schulman, CEO of PayPal. Thank you so much, John. I hope my mom is listening to this podcast. Yeah, yours and mine, too. You know, I, uh, it, it, whenever somebody says something nice about me, from my mother, she says something about it, like, yeah, go get the trash cans or something. Exactly. <laughs> It's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I was talking to my auntie the other night and she said, you know, who knew this little knucklehead that I took care of would turn out to be somebody? And she called me, she wants to call me a knucklehead eight times in a four-minute <laughs> conversation. Like, I was like, Your okay. auntie and my mom should get together for like an hour-long conversation and compare notes. <laughs> it keeps us humble, Dan. It keeps sure us does. <laughs> so, so look, um, I want to get into this. There's so much meat here and we're you know, uh, I think that let's get the history sort of out of the way first, the resume, if you will, and then get into some, some meaty stuff. You know, Dan um, has had a pretty good run as a corporate leader. I think he worked at American Express. Uh, he he um, uh, was a president of Sprint's prepaid group. Um, he was a founding CEO tapped by, by Richard Branson to be CEO of Virgin Mobile, which grew spectacularly under his uh, tenure. He was born in Newark, New Jersey, by the way, uh, and um, and also, I think, Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, and, you know, as sort of a hat to uh, the privilege that he acknowledges he had, 
uh, he, you know, he was a captain of the tennis team and the lacrosse team at Princeton uh, High School. Uh, he went on to see, receive degrees in economics uh, from uh, Middlebury College and an MBA from New York University Stern School of Business. Um, his mother, Ruth uh, Showman, was associate dean of Rutgers Graduate School of Applied and Professional Psychology. Uh, his father, Mel Schumann, was a chemical engineer. Uh, so he's not going to tell you uh, that, that he comes from this poor and disheveled family and all that stuff. And he fully acknowledges that he has had breaks. He's had to work hard for everything, which all is good, but it makes his story even more interesting. He also worked at at and I'm sure I missed some. Uh, uh, Don't worry about it, John. <laughs> That's good enough as a bio. Yeah. Um, I mean, once you once you char- once you're in charge of wait a minute once you charge of a twenty two billion dollar division at eighteen yeah. also yeah that's I was yeah baller baller stuff uh, oh you see he was CEO of Priceline I mean, this is a big big time CEO and again if you listen to the resume I just gave you and the lacrosse and all that kind of stuff it makes absolutely no sense <laughs> that he cares about poor people. Or he has a heart for struggling folks, and but he does. And I'm not going to bother everybody to drag them through this story I've worn out of one of the first conversations that Dan and I had. And if, maybe if it comes in the course of this, naturally in the course of this conversation, I'll retell parts of it. But I, I, I can't remember the last time a big-time CEO was as bothered by social injustice as I was as an African-American entrepreneur growing up in Compton, California, in South Central LA. I know why I'm bothered. <laughs> I know why Ambassador Andrew Young is bothered, right? I couldn't figure out why in the hell Dan Schumann was bothered. Uh, and even if he was bothered, why he would volunteer to write a check out of his own checkbook to do something about it. And I'm not talking about little dollars, folks. I'm talking about a significant portion of his compensation. And as I, as I got to know him, it becomes obvious when you talk to him, it's in his bones, but I don't get it. Like an engineer's son, a Dean's son, like Dan, help me understand where the, I call it decency, right? But where does that sense of fair play come from, from a hard nosed, hard driving, highly successful corporate executive? Well, John, like all of us, you know, we're the products of our parents that you kind of talked about my parents at the end of their road, you know, where their careers led. Um, But, you know, my dad came out of uh, uh, the Army fighting in World War Two on GI Bill. You know, he was um, uh, he ran uh, uh, part of a chemical plant in Newark, New Jersey, the night shift from. 12 midnight to six in the morning. Um, And, um, you know, his parents were immigrants from uh, Russia and Poland. Mm. My mom, um, you know, was a was a school teacher starting off part time school teacher. Um, And we lived in, you know, an apartment where me and my brother uh, and my sister shared the same bedroom and we shared the same bathroom with my mom and dad. And so, you know, I saw how hard they worked. I saw how much they cared about the condition of our society. They were early, early on activists. My grandfather was a union organizer uh, in the garment district of New York. You know, you and I have said, you know, as my dad got older and got a little more responsibilities. He was in charge of a plant uh, down in Mississippi, right at the height of the civil rights movement in the early 1960s, um, where uh, the plant manager down in Mississippi fired a black guy for drinking out of the wrong water fountain. Now, I remember my dad traveling down to Mississippi, this before cell phones, before any of that, to reverse that decision. So here's a Jewish white guy going down to Mississippi to reverse the decision. And I remember so distinctly my mom hanging by the phone all day and all night, 
to make sure that my dad was going to call and be okay. And I remember like the tension in the house uh, around that, you know, uh, being pushed in my carriage in civil rights marches, my dad telling my mom that I was going to be the youngest person in the country to have their, his picture in an FBI file uh, because uh, she was so active. And so this was just part of my life growing up. Um, It's, a part of who I am, I feel very, very strongly that businesses and CEOs do not exist in their own little corporate bubble, um, just surrounded by how do we maximize profitability for shareholders, but how do we think about our employees? How do we think about the communities we live in? How do we think about creating a set of values that we live by and we act by um, because, you know, I, I firmly believe that, you know, we all need to be in this together for it to work, right? One little part can't be optimized and the rest is sub-optimized. And there's so much of our democracy, so much of our uh, economy that is sub-optimized right now. And uh, if we can all come together to work on that, all of us, would be better off as a result of that. Building the Good Life is brought to you by Prudential Financial. For over 145 years, millions of people have counted on Prudential to help solve for life's most important financial needs. Because at Prudential, they live their purpose to make life better by solving for the financial challenges of our changing world. Prudential's Who's Your Rock campaign is also about helping people reach new heights and providing a platform for people to reach their financial goals. So you said some stuff that begins to make more sense to me. Um, as you said, I'm looking at this through the end of the journey for your path. Yeah. The people, yeah. by the way, do this a lot. They see some successful white guy or, or successful black people look at me now and they assume I've had some silver spoon in my mouth. Uh, yeah, the only silver spoon I had in my mouth was the spoon that had was gold tinted. <laughs> And the, and, the, and the gold, the gold, the gold rubbed off, and I was with a tin underneath in in South Central LA in Compton. Uh, you know, my mom and dad, uh, you know, high school education. You know, uh, and uh, my mother walked with cap and gown at sixty two years old. Wow, uh, you know, high school equivalency, uh, and so up from nothing, right? And yeah, and I think, but people will assume, uh, unfortunately, uh, when they see successful people. That has always been that way, and uh, you you mentioned a couple of things. Your your Jewish background. Um, you didn't just say white; you said white Jewish. Well, of course, Jews were ran out of Europe. I mean, you couldn't own uh, Jews could not own real estate. It was against the law in many countries in Europe. Jews uh, were forced into finance so that they could finance real estate <laughs> and backdoor ownership into that thing. So in other words, finance and other areas that uh, this group has excelled in were forced upon them because they were not allowed to do business elsewhere in other segments. And so your dad came here as an immigrant. Uh, yeah. And that story I didn't know. And your mom was a teacher. So that now a dean now, that makes sense. Sort of up from nothing. She worked her way up. Um, what your dad did uh, by going south, he put his life at risk. He did. Uh, yeah. And you're watching all that as a child. Yeah. Well. It deeply impactful, deeply impactful. And I think, uh, um, you know, they, you know, it's, it's interesting, John, you mentioned all this. I, I mean, this is the, the literal truth. I wake up every day very thankful for what I have. Very thankful. Like, I don't take anything for granted. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, we are, we're blessed by the opportunities that we've had. We had to work really hard. And uh, as my mom said, you know, hard work and, and some luck, you know, comes along the way for sure. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't think for a second we should forget where we came from. I don't think for a second we should um, uh, think for some reason, you know, um, we're the ones who deserved what we had. We just, we were fortunate in so many ways. And we should enable 
as many people that have that, that fortune as well. That's why I focus so hard on, you know, my employees, making sure that they have not just physical health, you know, and their mental health about them, but financial health as well. You and I have talked about this a hundred times, John, like financial health is like the bedrock of somebody's psychological health, of a community's health. It's the bedrock of our democracy as well. Like how can we expect somebody to rise above their own self-interest when every single day they're struggling to make ends meet, when this is the first generation that doesn't think that their kids will have a better life than they do. You know, these are things that force people to feel like the system isn't working for them. And therefore, they start moving towards either the far right or the far left. And, you know, we have so few people in the middle right now. And that really is what statesmanship is about. It's about um, thinking about more than just yourself. But, boy, somebody's struggling every single day. Um, I don't blame them for focusing on on themselves and, and for feeling like others are getting in the way of that happening. I mean, I'd, I feel like this is a real responsibility we all have. So one, one point, I think, well, we're, we may debate this, who knows, but I think of clarification. You said there's folks on the left and there's folks on the right, deep in those areas, we agree. And there's so few people in the middle. My experience is that, that most people are in the middle, they're just quiet. The loud voices are far left and the loud voices are far right. The bullies uh, are out there on the edges. But in Dr. King's day, um, he had 20% of the white community support. And by the way, uh, my friend, half of that was Jewish. Yep. And he had 20% of the black community support. But most black folks sat on their hands. They were, they were sort of in the middle ground going, well, he's a rebel rouser. He's a troublemaker. We, yeah, I'm not quite sure. Oh, I sort of believe what he's saying, but I don't want to get involved. Here's a big one. I don't want to get involved. Mm. In, in, in Germany... I think most people were against the treatment of Jews, but they didn't want to get, quote, involved. One of the things that inspired me today, Dan, in, in uh, what's going on here in, in the world, really, with and I'm really heartbroken about what's happening with Ukraine. Uh, but rainbows only follow storms. In the midst of this, you've had the majority of the modern world rally for Ukraine and say, knock it off enough already. No, this is not. I'm not sitting on my hands anymore. This is not right. Um, that's inspiring. Um, but more cases than not, people just sit in their comfort zones. And so what I like about you is that you, you, you live your values. Uh, that's people I have on this show. Uh, the Bible says, be hot or be cold. If you look warm, I'll spat you out. Translation, even God doesn't like mediocrity. <laughs> no, you got mad at me one time. You won't even remember it, but you, you got mad. I, I, I don't actually. I'm looking forward to hearing about it. We were at a place I can't describe someplace. Yeah, yeah. Utah or someplace. Well, and I can't say where it was, but you got mad at me because I said me and Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart, and Tony Resser. Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> billionaire Tony Resser, who owns Atlanta Hawks and Disney CEO and the Nike CEO. And actually, wasn't your Don John wasn't involved that yet. Uh, but NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, I'm mentioning these names. I was trying to impress you uh, about financial literacy for all. This movement to, embed, to make financial literacy a civil rights issue and embed it in the business model, blah, 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 blah. And I finished all that. you like, John, what are you doing? Why aren't I in there? I should be. I should have been the first phone call you made. I, you know, I remember that. <laughs> and I, yeah. I, was like, oh. and I, I loved it. I mean, you were serious. And I, I, I. I went and got you included retroactively. <laughs> yes. Yes, I remember that. Yep. And I also yeah. know you flew you flew to Atlanta just to speak at our conference. You 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 know, just to come speak at the whole global forum, you flew in and flew out right after that. Yeah, no, no, no. I remember that was the first conference that I spoke at where that wasn't virtual in like two years mm. uh, or so. And uh I had another meeting back in New York City, but I felt it was so important to go do this. But I was going to talk about your um, your uh, distinction between, you know, right, left in the middle, because I think there's a great quote by Yates, you know, one of his, you know, the Falconer, where he says, like, 
the worst of us are filled with a passionate intensity. And that's, you know, to the point you were, you were saying, like, those who are on the far right and far left with social networks now have this ability to really magnify uh, the voice. And so many people are, are scared to lend their voice. And by the way, I understand it. I fully understand it because as you and I have discussed, some of the decisions that we've made at PayPal, whether it be withdrawing from North Carolina because of the House Bill 2, the bathroom bill, um, you know, result can you, tell in, the can you tell the audience what that, what that was, by the way? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the House Bill 2, uh, in our reading of it, kind of allowed for the potential discrimination against someone for their sexual orientation or sexual identity. And we were just about to um, go into North Carolina, put in place a 600-person office uh, there. We had had a big news conference with the governor. And once they passed that bill, I was like, there's no way that we're going forward with this. Is anathema to our values. Um, And we pulled out. Uh, It resulted in, you know, front page of the New York Times. It was very lonely for a while. It resulted in death threats uh, against me for uh, for quite a while. I couldn't even go into a bathroom without people, security people searching the stalls to be sure nobody was there waiting, um, you know, to, to do some harm. And so uh, taking stands usually involves some degree of courage, yeah. you know, whatever it may be, because there are going to be people throwing rocks at you or at least uh, verbal rocks at you um, uh, almost no matter what you do. Like we take down hundreds of sites from using PayPal or Venmo to raise money because they advocate either violence, racial intolerance or hatred. Mm. That's not an easy thing to do to police your own uh, platform to go and do that because a couple of things. First of all, many of the hatred is um, it's in code. So if somebody sends you, John, yeah. you know, 88 cents in Venmo, yeah. 88 is the eighth letter of the alphabet is H. 88 is HH, which is Heil Hitler. Wow. So it's typically white supremacists doing that. Um, and so you need to know codes to be able to understand oh. kind of who to pull down. It's not straightforward. And also, nobody teaches you in college or advanced graduate school, where does hatred begin and where does free speech end? Right. right? The only thing they say is you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. <laughs> you know, that's the example everybody uses. Right. But, but like... You know, where does somebody's right to have their own opinion on something cross over into hatred? And you have to make a values-based decision on that. But I think just because it's difficult doesn't mean that we don't have the responsibility to try and reduce the rhetoric of hatred and violence uh, in our society. And every time we take down a platform or take down a, a site, it can result in a ton of both hate email as well as, uh, you know, sometimes more physical uh, threats. Um, but that's an obligation that we have, you know, and, and there's countless examples of that, which is why it's hard sometimes in the middle to stand up. But I think, um, you know, we may not be able to finish the job, you or I or others who who try so hard, but that does not excuse us from uh, being in the fight. And and to that point, and this fight's been going on a, a while. I'll come back to your what you did to undergird your employees here in a minute. But that fight's been going on for a while. Uh, it goes back to the civil rights movement in the most recent iteration. I, we're in what I call today the third reconstruction. People can go online and read what I have to say about the third reconstruction now, uh, which is social justice through an economic lens. 
Um, yep. Moving in the business suites, not the mean streets. But in the 60s, Dr. King would, and Andrew Young, who turns 90 this weekend, by the way, uh, they would march in the South, shut down the economy of towns for whom the majority of the population was black, typically. Those customers wouldn't go into stores then. Uh, and the knock-on effect was the private sector, after a few weeks feeling the pinch, had to make a choice between the governor's values or the mayor's values or their economic prosperity. And they, they would meet with Andrew Young quietly behind closed doors so as not to embarrass anybody. And almost 100% of the time, Dan, the business leaders cut a deal. We'll, we're happy to take down the whites-only signs. Stop picketing our businesses. We'll employ people. We, we are with you. And that then forced the government leaders to change their tune. It was the private sector that mm-hmm. integrated the South. Now, it's some pain to the private sectors. They had death threats and so on. So, so as you were talking about what happened to you, it reminded me, harking back to what happened to leaders in the 1960s. So God bless you. So I'm, a, I'm now forced almost to tell this, this story because I need people to understand who you are. I've said this in a private, closed environment, but I'm not going to embarrass you too badly, but we, in our <laughs> own, almost in our first meeting, um, and this is why when, I, you know, when people tell me when they're looking at payment services and payment platforms, I will hear all the time, oh, I want to do business with PayPal. They're a company with a purpose. They mean what they say. They're not just about making money. Um, and if I have a choice of do, using several different platforms, and I see PayPal, I always choose you. My, my Rachel Doff is hooked. My chief of staff is hooked on PayPal because we know your values. Okay, so I'm with you the first time we really had a real conversation. Yep. And, and uh, you said, I want to, I'm thinking about giving a big, it's a big amount of money uh, to my employees and to the community. And I said, don't do it. <laughs> and and then you must, you, you, I think you, your head spun on your on your. Neck. I was pretty shocked. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and it was a lot of it was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. Yeah. And I was really serious about uh, how can I personally make an impact? And this wasn't somebody else's money. This was his. And I said, and don't be sending me hate mail now because I told him not to do it. I said, listen to the whole story now. I said, Dan, don't do it. Somebody knocks you off. You get you you quit. You get fired. Uh, you know, whatever. You know, you decide to go to on long-term vacation, the next CEO is not going to have those values. Uh, I've never heard of CEO in my life. I know a bunch of them that said, I'm going to write a check out of my own pocketbook for $50 million. Um, and this was before George Floyd, as I recall. Yes. Yeah. This was before oh, yeah. George Floyd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Well before. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and I said, don't do it because it's not sustainable. And, and you're going to give people a handout, but maybe not a hand up. Let's tie it to something that's larger. And let's tie it to the company. And uh, I didn't give you a number. I just said you can do multiples more of this more sustainably. It is embedded as part of the business plan. It is a business case for diversity, inclusion, fairness, and opportunity. And you went back. I figured you'd write me off and say, that's the last time I talked to that bozo. And you went back. (laughs) Next thing I hear, Dan, you're announcing a $500 million plus commitment to your employees into the communities you serve. Tell the audience a little bit about what, what you did, which was fantastic and created great texture and commitment amongst your team members too. Yeah, so there are two things, John, uh, that we did. One um, is I surveyed all of my employees to find out how many of them were struggling to make ends meet. The truth of the matter is, John, I, I thought that survey was going to come back quite favorably in terms of fairness because PayPal pays always at or above market rates. Mm. And this is where the first time where I was kind of like, wait, capitalism is not working. Markets are not working for a large part of our population. Like all of my entry-level employees, all my call center employees said they were struggling to make ends meet at the end of the month. Mm. Yeah, let's call it 35, 40% of the people inside PayPal. And, um, and then I said, okay, well, how do we measure it? Right. Because people were like, 
well, up your minimum wage. And we really don't do minimum wage per se. And, and I was like, why don't we measure it scientifically? Like, let's look at like how much money does somebody have after they pay their taxes and their essential living expenses? How much money do they have to save to buy textbooks for their kids, to take somebody out once a, once a month, to right. save up for an emergency that right. they may have? Right. And what we found out is that the net disposable income of a large part of PayPal's population was between four and six percent. And so it was no wonder they were struggling. And, and we worked with academia. We worked with some uh, nonprofits who said basically the minimum somebody needs to feel financially healthy and secure is 20 percent NDI. So that is a, a huge what's, amount from the what's NDI for the audience. Net disposable income. How much income do you have as an individual after you pay your taxes and your essential living expenses? What do you have left over? Right. So we then came up with a uh, program to uh, take the NDI of every PayPal employee from four to six percent to a minimum of 20 percent. And we slashed the cost of healthcare benefits by 67 percent. So people didn't have to choose between healthcare and food on the table. We raised wages where that was necessary in each of the uh, communities. And we looked at it community by community right. because NDI changes uh, depending on where you live. Um, and um, we gave every single person inside PayPal um, restricted shares of the company so they could uh, enjoy the success and feel fully, no pun intended, vested in the success uh, of the company. And then we wrapped all of that, John into a financial education program, financial literacy. What does it mean when you have savings? What does it mean when you have equity? You know, how do you think about that? And today, John, we're at 18% NDI is the lowest level. We still have a little ways to go to get to that 20, but we will get to that 20. To your point, John, the difference between what I was going to do and what we did systemically, I mean, it's just night and day difference for employees. And then the second thing you mentioned, post the death of George Floyd, when there was this outpouring of emotion and anger and frustration um, that just swept through our country, I was going to basically do what a lot of other companies were doing, which is give a couple of million dollars to very well-deserved and hardworking uh, nonprofits, uh, NGOs. Mm-hmm. who were right on the ground. And I spoke to you. I spoke to Reverend Barber. I spoke to Darren. I spoke to a number of different leaders in the black community. And I remember one of them saying to me, Dan, this needs to be a moment over time or a movement over time and not a moment in time. So we need to think about this on a longer term basis. And if we're thinking about things like reducing the racial wealth gap, two or $3 million here or there isn't going to do it. And so we came up and said, we're going to commit $535 million to do our part to reduce the racial wealth gap. And John, we're not, we didn't just say it. We've now committed all of that money um, in a number of different areas. We can get into it if it's helpful. But um, to really show our commitment to, um, to advocating for justice in our society. And this is what I call justice, not just us. <laughs> this, <laughs> yeah. This, yeah. This, this is real money. And he, and he didn't say $500 million and then hype bracket and say pesos or these days rubles. Oh, oh, this is this is U.S. currency, 500 plus million dollars for the reinvestment, not a giveaway program, a reinvestment into his greatest asset, his people and the communities that they serve, because as he does more for them, that they are able to to reinvest and do more uh, and give back more for the company. And we've seen companies that do this see their performance over time 
increase and their brand equity become more resilient. There are many companies who are doing incredibly well, and I would not have their CEOs on my show. Um, I don't want to give them free attention or advertising for what they do. I want to highlight leaders like you and Tony Ressler and Ed Bastian yes. of Delta and John Donahoe, of CEO of Nike. And, you know, these folks and women, Stephanie Rule, I mean, there's a bunch of women in it, Sarah Fry, who... Yeah who know that you can do well and do good too. And that the premise of doing well and somebody else is winning and somebody else losing is a lie. Yeah. I, I, I think um, that um, often people misconstrue that profits and purpose uh, work against each other. Mm. They don't. I think they are. Firmly linked together. I'll tell you why I feel that so strongly. I think that the only sustainable competitive advantage of a company is the talent inside that company, their passion for what they're doing, um, and their degree of commitment. Um, And so you want the best people. The best people work at places that take care of them that have values that resonate with them, that have a mission that inspires them because we work too hard. We spend 12, 14 hours a day working, you know, and it's just, it's nonstop. And you need to be able to get up every morning and believe and go that extra step all the time. That's why I wanted to make every employee inside PayPal a shareholder. Because they know that everything they do matters. Every customer interaction they have matters. And so I think um, you show me two companies. One that really takes care of their employees, that has passion and engaged employees. And one that doesn't, but has this great strategy. And I'm going to bet on the one that has the passion and engaged employees anytime. Yep. And um, and so, you know, I, I don't think these things go uh, are in conflict. And to your point, the brand and the brand ethos of a caring, inclusive company is something that I think resonates to the overwhelming majority of people. Yeah. And they want to come. Young people want to come. Well, all people, I think, want to come work for a company that has purpose. Yeah. Not, not, not just making a profit. And look, there, there's been uh, a, a with what's going on post pandemic pivot from the pandemic. And, and as the Federal Reserve has threatened to raise interest rates and, you know, all the disruption that happened uh, coming into 2022, you've had a whole slew of tech companies that have taken a whipping. I mean, I can't mention the name, but there's one huge company in Canada that I partner with that, you know, is their stock was slashed in half. Uh, now they had a huge run-up. Uh, they'll be fine, but uh, the whole the whole group took a whipping. But the ones the companies that uh, are resilient uh, are the companies that have this purpose leaned into them. And you're going to see a bounce back. Uh, well, first of all, you've seen a floor, and now you're seeing a bounce back of yeah. and people defending those brands. And I know for a fact you're one of those brands that will emerge uh, better than you went into it. Now I'm going to say for the audience, and I got to be careful how I say this. I'm not on this board. I'm not on this. Bu- I'm not. I've got you know. I've got no <laughs> interest. I, I don't know nothing other than what you read in the newspaper. In my opinion, but uh, I I know that 2018, where that stock value was, and and that, and 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 I saw and I, him run this thing up and build something great before it became in vogue to do the right thing. And, and I see uh, another run-up coming um, with the company that Dan runs. And so everybody, you take that information for which you do it with it as you will. Uh, that's just my, my opinion. Um, Dan, you must get tired um, because you can't take a break. And I, now I'm saying this, but I, I'm really asking a question. Yeah. Um, 
I got to wake up every day asking is the work I'm doing as a parallel analogy here is the work I'm doing relevant. I have to ask myself that question. Um, And I got to tie the work I'm doing on social justice into the news cycle, into what the the president of the United States and trade secretary is focusing on because nobody wakes up saying, how do I help help poor people? Unfortunately, (laughs) the urgent crowds out the important, right? So I got to tie my caboose. I can't take it personal. I got to tie my caboose, even though I think I'm doing noble work, to the business case of whatever is going on. And that's a daily process of reinvention. After what Dr. King won the Nobel Peace Prize, people called him not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther Kuhn, Uncle Tom, sell out. I mean, he's his friends talking. He had to constantly, re- and not soon after that, people were saying he was irrelevant. I mean, it's unbelievable because we all celebrate him today as this icon. Does it get exhausting one having to constantly mine the store and re and, and how often do you have to reset the software? Not, I don't mean it literally. Yeah. I mean, to set, reset the mental sort of strategy of how many times in, I don't know, five years have you had to reimagine and the strategy in the, in the business software for the company? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, John, you're right. I mean, it is a, um, um, you know, I'm not sure we call it 24 by seven, but it's, it's a lot of hours in the day and the, uh, and the evening for sure. Um, you know, I have done martial arts for a long time. Um, and, um, um, and, you know, most people associate martial arts with the physical and fighting. And obviously that's a huge part of it, but, the biggest part of it is exactly is how do you control what's in your head? That's right. Because what you can't ever control are things that happen around you. Like things will happen. The only thing you can control is how you react to them. That's right. And, um, and there needs to be a stillness and a, and a little bit of Zen mm. and resilience and mm-hmm. humility in, in, I think, any leader uh, of a company. None of us will ever have a life or a stock price that only goes up and to the right. Um, right. None of us will. Um, and if we think that, you know, we're, we're not really attuned to what happens in the world. That's the right. real mark of a leader I think is that when they are hit, do they get back up and how do they reinvent themselves? And that has to happen continually. It's happened to you. It's happened to me. It's happened to everyone we've met. If we go into their life story as well, everyone's been knocked down and it really is the measure of somebody on how they get back up. And, um, you know, my view on this is, you know, I'm quite Zen about it. Um, I am extremely competitive. Yep. Very, very focused, very, very determined yep. and um, and very, very confident that um, um, that PayPal will continue to reinvent itself going forward. We have a very strong business. We have a huge customer base. We have an incredibly trusted brand. Global. But like everybody, you have to not rest on your past laurels, but look ahead and continually reinvent yourself uh, in a way that um, is very attuned to what consumers and merchants need. And we have some great people inside PayPal and, uh, and they are very focused and very determined as well. And so I've got a, um, I have to say, I have a ton of optimism about the future um, because we're a company that really matters. Um, and we've got a mission that matters, a set of values that matter. And, a lot of people count on us. That Zen is so important that you talked about. Be, uh, one of the reasons I like you one, is that you're reasonably comfortable in your own skin. Reasonably yeah. comfortable in your own skin. So you mean, so I know I'm dealing with an authentic person. I don't edit when I'm talking to you. I just talk to you. And we've never talked about this. This is just, now, you can't see Dan, Dan's nodding his head. You can't see because it's a, a podcast, but we never talked about this, but we know it. It's a known thing. It's like, you can just trust each other because you know you're talking to somebody who's real, and that is invaluable. Let me tell you something, everybody. 
Dr. King once said to his followers, his the team, I'm sorry, if you don't, if you're not slightly paranoid every day <laughs> and you don't acknowledge that you're a little crazy to think that you can change the world in your lifetime for the good, in spite of what you're seeing around you, you really are unstable. <laughs> and that's not a direct quote, but it is a it is a compilation. It is a summary. Of what yeah. you and uh, I wake up. I mean, I'm paranoid every day, a little bit. I'm insecure every day, a little bit. I'm, 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 but it's, I use it as a, the, 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 the iron that sharpens me. And I know you do too. But one thing I, I love, and I'm, audience, please listen now. He, he is not, he, whatever's going on in his life, professionally or personally or whatever, he's not distracted or deterred from his commitment to social justice for all. Absolutely. Uh, that's a that's real absolutely right. By the way, John, to your point, I think, um, you know, I used to get very, very nervous before I would give a presentation. And it used to impact the quality of that presentation. Mm. Um, and now I get nervous before every single presentation still, right? That never goes away. And people should just like never goes away. But, but I love that feeling because it's what gives me the energy yeah. to be, you know, to really come alive uh, in front of that. If I don't have that nervousness, you know, then you don't have that adrenaline that's that's coming through. And it's how do you harness very real human nature to to kind of excel going forward? It, it's not to say that we don't have the same emotions. It's just how do we how do we control our own way of thinking about them? Yeah. Yes, responding, not reacting. Yeah. Whenever you make an emotional decision, it's going to probably be the wrong one. I, you know, I, let me just tell you something, Dan. I've never had this happen on a podcast of mine before. I have uh, just about run out of time, not running out of things to talk about. And I don't want to end it. <laughs> we, had, we, we, we have such a great relationship and rapport. We just ran through this. I want, to, I want you to leave the audience. I'm going to let you spend the next five minutes going in whatever direction you want, but I want you to leave the audience with some tools, right? They, they, how do they have a little Dan Schulman with them in their pocket, in their soul, in their head, with them as they go through the, the, the journey of trying to get a job, of trying to build a personal brand, of trying to raise children, of trying to be a good role model, of attempting to start their own business, of doing something people tell them what they can't do, of getting knocked down and having to get back up again, of, of trying to build resiliency, to have faith. Uh, so a couple of questions, and you can answer in the way you like. What are your lessons to people for building? Mm -hmm. and, and, and that includes building a personal DNA, per, what, that personal integrity. What, some, what are some lessons and takeaways you can give for this audience? First of all, uh, John, I think... Um... You know, I, all of us are different and all of us, you know, have a different life and um, have different experiences. And so, you know, my experiences and thoughts may or may not be relevant. Um, I'm happy to share what I think, but um, but I I learn way more uh, than uh, than I can give back ever. And I think that is kind of probably one of the. The best lessons, you know, my dad once told me after I was uh, telling him for like 20 minutes, like what should be and what I wanted and everything else. And he said, son, you're born with two ears, one mouth, use them proportionately. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's such a good lesson for me. I don't know where he heard it, if he made it up himself, but it was like one of these things where I was like, he's right. The more you listen, the better off you are. And by the way, I find this all the time, no matter what, like, here's the thing, like the second you think you know it all, you're done. You are done because you don't know it all. The world is changing so quickly. We have to have humility mm. and respect for everyone that we meet and listen and learn from them. And by the way, sometimes you don't agree, 
But you learn all the time. Even I tell my team all the time, I want to, I want to not be a team because we talk about the weather and agree on it. I want to be a team because we talk about the real issues that are really hard and we can still be a team afterwards. That's, that's the key. And there needs to be a real sense of, of humbleness, of quiet confidence so that you don't go into fight or flight mode, but you can really listen with, with good intent. Um, and so I think this authenticity, respect, humility, learning to listen, knowing that you can always learn, so essential for anything, I think, in life. Hey, man, I have never told you this, Dan, but, and this includes at the Super Bowl when I was in the uh, uh, booth with Roger Goodell and a bunch of CEOs. I never told you this. I want you to get a big head. But uh, whenever <laughs> I mention your name, people light up. I'm talking about other leaders. Uh, CEOs universally and leaders universally, all races. Uh, that's, I love Dan Schulman. I respect Dan Schulman. Oh yeah, Dan, he's, he's running a great shop. Oh, I really, I'd follow him anywhere. It's what people say about you when you're not around uh, that gives you some indication uh, that you're on the right path. And it's very kind of, it's very nice to hear John, very kind of you to say. But I know you do it anyway. You would do the right thing, whether they said nice things. Or That's why people say that, you know, it, you, <laughs> you expect something. And because you, you do something because you expect something, it's not the right reason to do it. I was telling a, a commissioner in the European Union the other day, I said, sometimes the right thing is just the right thing. <laughs> you, know, it's like, you just do it because it's the right thing and uh, there doesn't have to be anything else besides that well and there you have it sometimes the right thing is just the right thing this is John Hope Bryan this is Building the Good Life my friend Dan Schulman now this is the master class of what Dan Schulman taught me to help you build be curious be nosy Understand, as his father taught him, God gave you two ears and one mouth, so you listen twice as much as you talk. Reinvent yourself always. Never be satisfied. Never settle. The Bible suggests be hot or be cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll spat you out. Translation, even God doesn't like mediocrity. Whatever you're going to do, do it with both feet. Reinvent yourself. Always understand that life is a series of software upgrades. What is yours? Understand that you're better together. That's a good partnership. That's a good marriage. That's a good friendship. If two plus two equals three, run. Whoever you're with and whatever you're doing, two plus two should equal four, five, six, ten. And that's why he is reinvested in his people because he understands that you cannot even calculate that return on investment. There is no growth without legitimate suffering. You cannot have a rainbow without a storm first. Don't trust anybody who hasn't gone through something and trust everybody who has been through a war and finally bake goodness into your business plan it is a lie that you can only do well when somebody else does badly it is a truth that you can do well and do good too you want truth of that look at dan showman's life story from beginning to end that's a drop the mic masterclass from ceo of paypal dan showman Building the Good Life with John Hope Bryant is brought to you by Prudential Financial. 